Thanks for, Thanks for listening to the, the Boots Frost Podcast. 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 Hey, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Boots Off Podcast, now with video. That is if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not watching on YouTube, but maybe you would like to see the faces of all these guests I have conversations with, then I'll put a link in the show notes. You follow that link, you click on subscribe, and then you'll see all of our faces from this episode going forward. I am Mike Larman. This is the first episode of the Boots Off Podcast. After the two-year hiatus, I had to make my own transition, and uh, I left my first post-active duty job, packed up and moved from one state to another, and I just couldn't fit the podcast into that chapter of my life. So we're back, we're getting better, and if you haven't yet rated the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to or watching on, then uh, please give it a thumbs up, five stars, what have you. And uh, that way we can reach more eyes and more ears and, uh, you know, get this out to the veterans who may need to hear these conversations that I that I produce. Uh, I had no idea when I first came up with the idea for this podcast that I would have the opportunity to talk to someone who's taken a path in life quite like Chris Allen has. Chris is a stand-up comic, and he's opened... For many comics that uh, stand-up comedians that you are familiar with, I'm sure, from Amy Schumer, Mark Norman, Colin Quinn, Hannibal Burris, and many more. I'll let him get into a little bit more of that. But what does he have to do with transitioning veterans? I'll tell you what. A couple years ago, he retired from the Air Force. And so I thought Chris could provide a very interesting perspective because you don't hear a lot of stories like his. And I appreciate him taking time out of his day and uh, his family life on the weekend to have this conversation with me. So please enjoy this conversation with Chris Allen. He's a regular in the DC clubs. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram under the name Chris Allen Comedy and find everything else he's doing from there. The shirt, man. Thanks for getting the shirt. I, oh, I love this shirt. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Actually, I actually had a few people get upset with me about that shirt. I had a black lady in Texas was like, that's too close to the Gatson flag. I can't support it. And I was like, you literally came back to me after the show. You already walked by me. She left and then came back and told me that. I was just like, you just, that's fine. Just don't buy one. I don't need to hear you don't like it. Just don't get it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone always feels the need to to comment on how they feel about something. Yeah, they really feel like uh, like uh, real life is like a wall. You're like your Facebook wall. So it's like, yeah, you don't have to comment in person. It's you know, what I'm saying, just keep keep scrolling, keep on walking, buddy. And I and it's not to say I don't like to hear other people's opinions, but it's just like I'm trying to sell right now, and you're yes. gonna come back to me and interrupt me to tell me you don't want to buy one while people are buying a shirt. Just first of all, thank you for coming on because um, I think you can provide a very a unique perspective that like my listeners aren't typically thinking about. Um, okay. You know, so that's why I wanted to invite you on from the moment we first initially last year um, started just a little bit talking over, right. over Instagram. I followed you after hearing Mark Norman drop your name on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. And so I gave you a follow almost immediately 
Oh, okay. And um, you you sent me a message saying, "Hey, I'm a vet too," and we started talking from there. Yeah. And so I've I've noticed that you and I we have a lot, a lot of these uh, similar passions. Like you seem to have a lot of pride in your military service. Right. Um, your family. Right. Is, of course, is a big one. You, I think you've been married. You said 17 years on uh, on your podcast. I think. Um, Fifteen. 15, yeah. 15 years you've been married. You got a son that's about the same age as, as my oldest uh, twins. And um, oh, wow. they also you came out with twins. Huh? How was that? That first year, I mean, your family size doubles. So <laughs> yeah, I know it's tough. Huh? And, and not tough. only that, but we moved to uh, Japan. We PCS'd when they were three months old. Oh, so Jesus. Complete shock to uh, every part of life, you know? Wow. Um, and now there's four of them. So <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, man. It's, yeah, I, I I remember guys like that. They have a brand new baby, and they gotta pick up and move to somewhere they don't even know anyone. I never like being a young airman. You don't really think about that. You see, like, oh, there's a staff sergeant got a new baby. Now they're headed off to you know Oklahoma or wherever it is. You just like, oh, so starting so and so is leaving, but you don't think about this guy is leaving us and his wife are leaving a support system to go to a part, you know, another state that they probably never lived in. They don't know anybody. Yeah. That sucks, man. Yeah. And not everybody, uh, you know, can integrate well with that new community. Um, right. Cause especially like new military spouses, they're not, they might not be familiar with networking or anything like that. They may right. have been stuck in that their hometown, you know, their whole life. Right. So take exactly. Them to, take them to another place, especially like Japan, where you can't even read the signs on the on the road. Yeah, I know that's it's, that's that's. Uh, I try to tell my wife about that because you know I've been through Japan, I've been in Korea, and I was like, it's just it's just something about being surrounded by a bunch of words and letters that you don't know what it means at all. It's so overwhelming. It's 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 a very odd feeling. To uh, I mean, it's. Especially with the, the the characters in you know in the Asian countries, is that you're completely lost. Like if, if you're somewhere else, we, it's, you know it's a romance language. You can kind of figure it out. Yes. But when you go to yeah, you deep in Asia somewhere, you go. I don't know what the hell is going on. It, it can no. be very scary, man. It was a uh, definitely a, a big change in our lives, but you know we we've, we've made it. We've uh, certainly right made it exactly. Work. You got through um, it. 100%. And so, like I was saying, so I think you can offer a, a different perspective. How does one go into the Air Force, serve a full 20 years, and end up on stage opening in comedy clubs for people like Mark Norman, Hannibal Burris, Roy Wood Jr.? So, I mean, what? It's, it's weird, man. What led you into the Air Force to begin with? Um, well, I'm from Rochester, New York. And, uh, you know, I was just in high school. I, I was on the fence about college. I, I really didn't want to go. I, I got accepted in, at uh, University of Buffalo. My mom paid the down payment and everything. I had a dorm room. And I was, I, I used to work at Wegmans. You ever heard of Wegmans, the grocery store? Yeah, I'm familiar. I went on a lunch break and I'm walking through the produce section and uh, I see one of the managers there and it said, uh, Steve, serving you for 28 years. And I was just like, I don't want to work at at uh, Wegmans for 28 years. It's like I don't I don't want to do that. But when you're 18, you kind of you don't realize that's not a it's not a bad career at all, you know. But when you're 18, you kind of look down on things like that. It's like it's a grocery store. But I was like I don't want to do that. And I was like I really don't want to go to college. So literally the next morning, 
I got up and I had never thought about it at any point in time throughout my high school career. I went downtown and I just signed up for the Air Force. I just signed up. I was like, I don't want to work for Wegmans for 30 years. I was like, I can't do it. And I don't feel like going to school. So I just joined the Air Force, man. My uncle was in. Uh, I actually had a couple of uncles that were in. And I was, my uncle was in the Marines. And he, you know, I was like, ah, I don't think he would want me to join the Marines. He had, he had passed away. Uh, so I didn't get to consult him. But uh, I had a cousin who I looked up to who was about uh, four years older than I. He had just joined. He seemed to be doing well. Uh, a good buddy of mine, his brother joined as well. And uh, he seemed to be doing well. And I was like, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. And that, that's, that's what I did, man. I didn't even think about it. I came home. I told my mom. She cried. My dad was just like, hey, let, let him go. You know? He's like, good. He doesn't want to sit around here. And uh, that was, that's basically how I joined, man. There was no, like preparing and none of that kind of stuff. I went in completely blind. I had no idea what to expect at all in the least bit. So you didn't know anything like you didn't know where you were going to be. Nope. Did you know at that time, like that you'd be going to San Antonio for a few weeks? I dude, I dude, I had done, I did no research. All I knew was Daryl's brother was in my uncle Lowe was in the air force. My uncle Macon was in the air force. My cousin Brandy was in the air force. And I was just like, man, it doesn't seem bad. And I, and I had heard uh, like horror stories about like uh, the army and the Marines. Cause at the time I was like, I don't want to be in the Marines, man. I was like, I don't want to. And then you went to Luke, right? Was that your first assignment? Yep. I went to Luke air force base. Uh, my first job was, uh, I was a, a two EO, which is a, I don't know what it is now, but I was a ground radar maintenance systems apprentice. You know how they give them the, the long, I was just a radar guy. <laughs> So I was in tech school for about 11 months. And uh, that's once I signed up, my cousin who was actually in, uh, my cousin Chan, he actually retired a couple of years ago as well. Uh, he heard that I was going to join up because I wanted to be a cop, dude. Believe it or not, I, I wanted to be a police officer. So I was like, I'm going to go. I'm going to join the Air Force. I'll be a cop for four years. I'll come out. I'll come back home and I'll be a cop in Rochester. And he called me. He was like, dude, do not be a cop. He's like, don't do that. He's like, you're going to end up in Japan. Uh, at some base and he's like dude you're gonna be out in the middle of nowhere guarding a plane for like 12 hours by yourself he was like don't pick a cop he's like don't do it and I was just like all right he was like whatever you do pick the longest tech school that you qualify for so I take the ASVAB and uh, I do I didn't even know what the ASVAB was until I until I took it the first time like they didn't um, when they came to my high school, I went to a private uh, Catholic school so they really most of uh, most of the guys that I went to school with were would go to college so I don't think they were expecting to really get too many recruits from the high school that I went to and I kind of blew them off so I didn't know what to expect they gave me a practice test which was 25 questions so I thought when I was when I was going to go in to take the official test that's what it was going to be so I get to maps and I'm taking this test and it's so long so I just start a a a b b I had dude I had that's how dumb I was I had no idea that this actually had a bearing on what job I would get Cause my dude, cause my recruiter, he was cool. I was like, I want to come in no matter what. So he kept his mouth shut. He didn't say anything. He knew all he could do was mess it up. So he didn't give me a whole lot of information. He just told me what, what to expect that basic training, but he didn't, he really didn't give me a lot of information, man. So I took this test, uh, I qualified for radar. This tech school was like 36 or 40 weeks or something like that. And I was like, I'm going to take that. So that's what I did. I took this long radar course. You know, it was a bunch of electronic stuff and all that kind of stuff. So 
Yeah, and man. I always wonder when I hear somebody going into like a maintenance field. Before that, did you have any experience, knowledge on anything like crafty, handy, anything like that? My father is very handy. He's, you know, he can, my father can look at something and replicate it. You know, he can, oh, I can build it. And there's no measuring anything, nothing like that. With no formal training at all. He's just, he's just that kind of guy. But me, no, man. Uh, I can, I can figure things out, but I'm not very handy. But whenever I do do that kind of stuff, I, I will say I, I do pretty well. Um, so I have an aptitude for it, but it's not something that I really uh, I ever like kind of gravitated towards. But to be honest, man, I'm very, I'm very glad that I, uh, I spent uh, six years in the maintenance uh, career field and in that the maintenance world. Because uh, th- that was, those were the kind of guys I liked being around, you know. Uh, it's a lot of dude, a lot of ball busting. Uh, there were, we were left to 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 our own devices a lot of times, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I'm still friends with a lot of the dudes I was in my in, in, in that radar shop with. Man, like we're good friends. I, I, oh, one wow. guy, we were in tech school together, and we ended up going to Luke together. And he's he just retired. And Joe and I, we talk almost every day. Man, he's like my brother. That's amazing. Yeah, and and that's. Yeah, it's so good to hear. Um, so you say you didn't plan on doing a full 20 in the beginning. No, no, I did not. I, dude, I remember standing in my driveway. I was like, uh, all right, you're going to do four years. I was like, you're going to do four years. You'll be 22. You can get out. You'll be a cop. You can finish. You'll have the GI Bill. You could be a cop. That was my plan. 22, I'll get out, go to school, be a cop. So what influenced that decision to, to stay in after – did you first enlist under six years? I did four. I did the four-year. Four. That's so right. Okay. I did four years. Uh, at the time, I was you, – you, if you, you've seen it. I, I, had, uh, I get to my first duty station. I meet a girl, you know, and I was like, man, me and, me and this girl, we might get married. So I was like, oh, I'll just re-enlist. That way I'll have something secure, and then we can plan based on that. That felt her and I never got married, thank God. Uh, and uh, I, um, you know, make staff after like, uh, what, five years, six years. It took me a little bit longer than everybody else at the time because people were making it back in like the early, early 2000s, like three years in, four years in. But I was kind of a, a screw a screw off. So I didn't really, I didn't make uh, staff the first time like a lot of my buddies did. And uh, yeah, so um, yeah, I'm at Luke Air Force Base. Uh, I'm, you know, just just a new kid in the air force, man. I, it, it was a culture shock for me because I, I grew up, to be honest, I grew up pretty with a pretty, uh, I wouldn't say sheltered, but I had a very traditional life. My parents were married. Um, all my aunts and uncles were married. Um, I had cousins, uh, uh, that, you know, they came from stable homes. I came from a, I feel like my life has kind of been like the exception and not the rule, man. Uh, I just, my parents still have the same phone number at, at the house. So do all my aunts and uncles. They still live in the same houses. So I was just used to consistency, you know, everything being in the place where it needed to be. Uh, I grew up uh, Pentecostal, so I wasn't used to people swearing. I wasn't around people drinking. So that was a culture shock, shock to me when I get to my first base and you got this tech sergeant like, what the fuck are you doing? You fucking, that, that was hard for me. Like I had yeah. to like pull them aside like, hey man, I'm not used to a Delta yelling at me. They're like, shut the fuck up, you know? It was it was a wild it was wild man. And that's um, in the nineties. Yeah, dude. It, it was it was pretty crazy, man. I, I didn't realize how sheltered I was until I um until I got 
uh, out in the world, I was like, man, I don't really know much of anything. I'm a completely different person now, man. It's, uh, it really changed me. Yeah. And that's, I mean, things have changed so much since, yeah. since then as well. Yeah. So now it's kind of the opposite. You know, you've got this, these, uh, you know, guys that have been in for going on 20 years and they've got that old school attitude and the, the system is coming down saying, look, we can't talk that way to these. Right. This changed a lot. Uh, yeah. Which I don't know for, for a professional environment, I, I'm, totally supportive of that you know there, there's a time and a place I exactly think, and and to be honest personalities there's so many different air forces within the air force because the maintenance the, the whole the whole maintenance world whether it's uh in ce or on the flight line or radar guys that's different i was also on space command that's different like when i was in maintenance i didn't even know space command existed all i knew was like fighter jets uh yeah. you know maintenance stuff that's all I kind of, that's all I knew. I do. I was so great. I didn't know the air force was into satellites and, you know, ICBM. I had no, I had no idea what the air force did on a big scale. You know what I'm saying? On a, on a strategic level, no clue at all. Like I thought it was cool because I had a secret clearance, but we really didn't, we didn't use it. You know, we just had a piece of crypto in our, in our van, radar van that we would just pull in and out, but we never, mess with any of the you know the codes and all that kind of stuff but then um uh, i make staff uh go to korea before i go to korea i get married you know uh come back to the states and i'm on the retrain list and i'm in colorado springs um, i'm doing a very weird job that was ex- extremely boring we were only there as like top cover for civilians it was like the 17 test squadron and we basically tested these like big pave pars radars, but I, I didn't do anything. All I did was just accompany all the civilians because they couldn't be in charge of the program. So here I am as a staff sergeant. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm just following these civilians around, these majors around, just because I'm just supposed to be there. It was probably two of the most boring years of my life. Luckily, I was on the retrain list. I signed up for that. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, start, I picked some jobs. I get intel. And then, you know, I go through all the, cl- the classes and stuff, and I find out I'm going to Vegas. And throughout this whole process, in my mind, I'm at a weird time in my life. I'm like, uh, I want to say I'm in my late 20s. And I'm like, man, is anybody uh, from my high school doing anything cool? Is anybody in movies? Is anybody trying to, to act? Is anybody like just doing something outside the box? And I was like, I want to do something different. And I was like, what can I do? And people have always told me I was funny. I should try comedy. But I was like, ah, I, can, I can't write jokes. I can just be funny off the cuff. I can't write jokes. So I get these orders to Vegas and I was like, you know what? I think I should try comedy. I was like, I've been fighting my natural talent, you know, for years. So let me give it a shot. So I get to Vegas and I gave myself six months. I got there in um, December of, um, I want to say 07. And I was like, I'm gonna give myself six months and do like within three weeks, I was going to my first mic, um, this place called Pounders, which is like, a, and it, it, <laughs> It's so funny. You find out so quickly how hack you are uh, because I was like, oh, Pounders. The first time I was like, oh, Pounders, this is a gay, is this a gay bar? And people are like, why'd you come? You know, if you think, this, if you thought it was a gay bar and then you would see new comics come, oh, Pounders, this is a gay bar. I'm like, oh, damn, I, I guess I wasn't as original as I thought I was. But uh, so I started there. Um, the first year and a half was tough because I wasn't a very confident person and 
I would say for the first year, I would talk myself out of going up, I would say about 50% of the time. So I would write jokes at work. I would get a set list and everything. And then I would get to the mic and then I would go, this joke sucks. This joke sucks. I don't want to do that. That's dumb. And I would just go up and I would erase my name, but I would hang out. Mm-hmm. So it, and um, eventually I just started going up every time. Um, I was lucky enough to, to meet some really cool guys there. And I met, um, yeah, I don't know if you know Vince Morris, but I, I saw Vince Morris on Dev Jam years ago and he blew my mind. And uh, I always wanted to be like him. And it just so happened a friend of mine knew him and I got to hang out with him. So the guy that I looked up to comedy wise was the first professional comic that I ever met. Right. And he was, he, he was from Dayton, Ohio. And I ended up getting orders out of Las Vegas like a year later to Dayton, Ohio to, and I ended up living, yeah, living in the same town as my comedy mentor, the guy I look up to. So then he introduces me to all the club stuff, the club managers and stuff in Dayton. So I start doing clubs after a while. And um, uh, I was there for five years. So I got some, I got some club experience under my belt. And then, you know, I started uh, opening for, you know, just like um, Brett Ernst and I work with um, Steve Trevino. I got to work with um, uh, just, just so many people, man. You know, I got to meet Chappelle while I was there because he, he lives in the Dayton area. Mm-hmm. I got to meet, uh, that's where I met Joe List. I met Joe uh, years wow. ago. I was yeah, super that, new. Yeah, dude, he was way still, back. It, dude, it was way back. Dude, he was featuring for Tommy Jonigan at the time. Okay. So this was a long time ago. So I got to, yeah, I got to meet Tommy Jonigan, Joe List. Uh, just I, I met Burt Kreischer before he really, really blew up. I mean, just a bunch of dudes. And I get orders uh, to Charlottesville. And I, I want to say I'm about six or seven years into comedy at the time. And I'm like, my comedy career is over. I was like, I know I want to do comedy when I retire, but I was like, I, what, there's nothing in Charlottesville. Um, the closest city is Richmond and it's like an hour away. And I wasn't used to that. I was spoiled in Dayton because all the shows and mics were about, you know, 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes away. And if you really want to venture out, Cincinnati was 50, 50 minutes away and there was a whole scene there. They had clubs down there as well. But we, and I look back, I, I, I'm kind of pissed that I didn't do that more often. Uh, let's go there, but go down to Cincinnati. But I mean, I get to uh, Charlottesville and um, there's, dude, there's no comedy here really, none. And um, some years prior, I did, a, I did a festival. I meet some people, networking and stuff. And then um, uh, a friend of mine, his name is Matt Ward. He used to run, um, uh, God damn it. I'm sorry. Cape Fear Comedy Festival. And uh, he goes, hey, man, my friend Kenny Wingle is in Charles. He lives in the Charlottesville area. He's looking for somebody to open for Kyle Kinane because he can't do it. And I was just like, Kyle Kinane? I was like, hell yeah, I'll do that. So I go to this place called The Southern. Uh, They're being complete assholes to me because they don't know who I am. Uh, They only want me to do like five minutes. And eventually they they let me do 15. I have an awesome set, killer set. Kyle Kinane likes it. And the manager at the Southern's like, this is great. You are really good. You live here. Do you want a, a weekly show here? And I was like, yeah. So it took a while, but I eventually get my mic. I start building a little bit of a reputation for myself in town. And then boom, Mark Norman. Like, hey, this guy, Mark Norman's going to come in town. And I'm like, I looked him up. I was like, oh, he's cool. And I ended up working, work, working with him here in town. Again, I had a killer set. 
and we just hit it off, dude. We just we just hit it off, and Mark opened up a bunch of different opportunities for me. I started going to D.C. more often. That's how I got into the D.C. scene, you know, doing the Kennedy Center, uh, the, the improv. And once I built my reputation up here, whenever bigger comics would come here, the guys who ran the Southern would recommend me to open for people like Hannibal Burris. So, dude, it's, it's just been weird, man. And, like, uh, so, yeah, hook up with Norman, him and I, you know, we, we do a couple row gigs together. And this is what, what really helped me right here is uh, I, I lied to Mark one time. I, I went to Schumer's schedule because I knew he was opening for her. And uh, I go, oh, shit, they're going to be in Rochester? I was just like, I'm going. So I, I text Mark. I go, hey, man, I'm going to be in Rochester for uh, – for Mother's Day, man, I see you're going to be with Schumer, man. We should hang out. He's just like, better yet, I'll get you backstage. And I, at this time, dude, I really didn't know Norman that well. I met him that February, and I think the show was Mother's Day. So what's Mother's Day? Um, April, Sometime. May? Mid-May. Mid-May. So, dude, I only, I've only known Mark for a few months. And if, you, if you're a fan of Norman, you know how closed off he is. He's very hard to get to, to, get to know at first. And mm. I was shocked. So uh, long story short, I drive home, uh, I go to the show, and at the last minute she goes, hey, you want to go up? And, dude, I'm in my hometown. This is an arena show. There's 10,000 people there. And I'm like, yeah, I'll go up. And luckily I just just so happened, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a set list just in case. You never know. You never know what can happen. I was like, I doubt it. But it's possible because at the end of the day, it's just a comedy show. And, dude, she asked me, man, she's like, you want to go up? I was like, yeah, I go up. I do five. I have a good set. And after that happened, um, my hometown took me seriously as a comic. Because before, I would go back and do mics and try to put on shows. Oh, yeah, he's really in the military. He doesn't really. But once Schumer put me on that stage and she, like, retweeted some stuff and she tweeted that I was, you know, I was funny and stuff, people took it seriously. And uh, they, now the club back home was asking me to come back and do shows and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that kind of that kind of um, that kind of got me into a position where I got to open for Colin Quinn, you know, later on. So I, I was I was able to work with him. Uh, it's just, dude, it's been a weird road. I feel like I'm talking too much, man. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. That's that's what this is about. So are you still in at that point? You're still. Oh, in dude, this- I'm, dude, yeah, I'm I'm in my military career. So it it it's, it was a struggle. I can go into that as well. I thought you it, wanted me to. I I can tell you how all that worked too, man. If you well, kinda... yeah, and that that's part of it. I think. Oh, okay. I mean, this is all great. I mean, it's definitely a long road to to make it anywhere in in stand up comedy. Yeah, and I feel... so much of it comes down to you know just putting in the work and being seen, meeting yeah. people that can lead to other bigger things. Obviously, I mean, you've you've opened for Schumer. You've opened for. Colin Quinn, that's incredible. It's just, I've I've been fortunate. I've just been lucky, man. Even, I mean, from the start, man. And I'm not like a religious person, but it's just like, man, I've just been fortunate because I'll tell you, man, when I I say Vince Morris blew my mind on Def Jam, he blew my mind. And then when my buddy Booyah was like, hey, man, I want you to meet my man Vince. And it had been years since I saw Vince, but he had a very signature look and he had, he still had it. So when he turned around, I was like, oh my God, this is the guy. This is a guy that maybe kind of want to do com that want that maybe want to do comedy, and just being under his his wing, man, and just learning from him, I, I learned a lot. Um, yeah, I, 
it's just I, I've just been so fortunate, man. It's 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 kind of hard to it's kind of hard to believe sometimes. And I and not that I'm somewhere, but the things that I've been able to do just so far, and like you said, on active duty is pretty wild, man. It's 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 been it's been a fun ride so far, and I I feel like I still got a long way to go, but. I've seen so many other people not even get to where I am, and I don't really think I'm very far. But I just, dude, I just been lucky, man. I just been fucking lucky. Well, and so I think you're saying you've been in comedy for 13 years now, right? That's, yeah. Once you, you know, they say once you get to 10, that's about the time that you start to you really find the voice of of your comedy. And so um, you're also not a full time comic, you know, at that point. And not not so, at all. So what what was that like to you know work on base in a in an Intel shop during the day, and then be in a club maybe that evening or over the weekend in in somewhere else opening for uh, you know a well known comic? It was it was fun, especially being so new. You kind of feel like this superhero, man. It was it was cool. You know what was really cool because I worked at Nasic. Uh, what was when I was at the Right Pat, and that's when I started to get. Uh, the bulk of my club experience. It was funny because I would see people from my building at the shows, but in passing, but I didn't, I didn't know everybody. I, oh, I recognize that person. And then, uh, dude, I, I had it happen so many times where like, I would see somebody in the crowd on a Thursday night at the funny bone show and I'm opening for Brent or whatever. And then I would walk into work the next morning and they will walk right by me and not even know that was me. That's gotta be weird, but is there a difference between like work Chris and stage Chris? To a to a certain degree, like everybody in my office knew I did comedy, uh, so like, dude, it got to the point where like my commander wanted me to do stand up at commanders' calls. It was just like, yeah, dude, I was just like, <laughs> I'm not doing that, man. I've had to do stand up at the at the holiday parties, you know, all that kind of stuff, which is not fun at all. I, dude, that one time I brought a bunch of my buddies to do a show. And I was like, hey, man, this is, mil- this is a military thing. Don't go too hard. Just be careful. Don't be too offensive. And literally, it was the same day as Sandy Hook, dude. My buddy goes up and does a Sandy Hook shooting joke at a military yep. function. Yikes. And that Monday, I am called into my lieutenant colonel's office like, why did he do that? I'm like, dude, god damn it. Here, here my buddy is at home smoking weed on a Monday morning and I'm sitting, you know, standing at attention, getting yelled at by my Lieutenant Colonel for a joke that I had nothing to do with that I forewarned them about. So it's just, it it was like just navigating that kind of stuff was fun, was uh, not so fun, but it was fun, man. Like just doing this thing of uh, during the day, just being some staff sergeant, you know, and then at night going up and doing comedy shows and then getting, you know, and and then getting up on Friday morning and going to PT you know, like nothing happened, you know, walking through my, it was, it was weird just being some airman walking around my building and go, Hey, aren't you that comedian guy? And then have everybody turn around and look like <laughs> him. It's like, yeah, that was me. But I, I mean, I was just an MC at the time, just opening I, up doing 10 minutes, but you know, I can also you, hear the people saying, Hey, okay, tell me a joke. Oh dude, that, that, Oh God, that's the worst. Even it got to the point, man, where like my commander would like, when we would get a new commander, they would go, oh, this is Sergeant Jones. This is the this is the comic. They go, oh, the funny guy. They go, no, he's really a comedian. He actually does shows. He did this. He did that. So it, it was cool, but it, it could be a little annoying at times, to be honest. So did, were you drawing on your military life 
for material? To be honest, no, dude, you, that's funny. Not really. Not really, because I saw a lot of um, military comics come and go, and I would hear, like, my close friends who were comics, they knew after I told them. But I never really talked about it on stage because I heard how they would talk about um, military, quote unquote, military comics. Because, you know, you, got, you have those guys, all they do is just military material and it, and it, it really doesn't travel very well. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a town where they have a base, it, it does well because you can always count on uh, a large portion of the crowd to be either military or somewhat affiliated with the base, whether it's through, you know, being admin or working at the hospital or whatever, whatever. You know, they're tied to it so that so they get it. So for years, I would say for the first like five or six, seven years, dude, I've rarely ever even mentioned that I was in the military at all. People people didn't know. Like sometimes I would be at lunch, like just around town, and I would just run into another comic at like the mall because we're eating at like Panda Express. They go, you're in the military? I go, yeah. They go, we had no idea. It's like you never noticed that I never took, you know, the, the joint when it was passed around. Or that, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I always kept my hair cut. I never had a beard, you know. <laughs> I had nicer things than you. <laughs> I know that's, that's mean. That's a good but, point. Good yeah. point, though. You got a steady paycheck. Yeah. That's, and that's I, one thing that, yes. that I think would yeah. probably play into why you, you know, one reason why you stayed in for, until retirement, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because I, dude, it afforded me the opportunity because some of the young comics don't, you know, they're working like a, maybe, you know, just a, a kind of a crappy job because most people don't have a career career that are into comedy. It's just younger guys who they might be a, you know, wait tables or a bartender or whatever, but not many comics have a career career that they're willing to give up. Not very many, but there are some, mm-hmm. but most people aren't willing to give up a career. So, um, I was afforded the ability, the opportunity to like uh, to take gigs that most comics in my position couldn't because they didn't have the disposable income. Again, you understand I was not rich, but compared to a lot of other people trying to do comedy, I had way more money. So it was easy for me to just like, hey, Vince would go, hey, man, I'm out in Temecula uh, next weekend. You know, uh, this is when I was in Vegas. You should come out to, to Temecula. So it's nothing for, uh, for me to like rent a car. I mean, I mean, get a hotel and just drive out there, take some leave and do some guest spots and take a bath on that, you know, because I'm spending a hundred bucks in gas. The hotel for two days is, you know, 300 bucks. So here I am, $400 in a hole just to do a couple guest spots. But it was an opportunity for me to meet the club manager, you know, maybe get some dates in the future. And I would say 95% of young comics just don't have that, uh, that, that luxury. You know, just taking gigs where you're just losing money. Dude, right. most comics for years, dude, you, we take a bath, man, of bath. Like doing these comedy festivals, even the smallest festival with no industry, no one is there. Dude, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna eat a, a thousand bucks just to do maybe three or four or five minute sets. A thousand dollars is going to cost you. If you got to fly there, you got to get an Airbnb or a hotel maybe a rental car if it's one of these festivals where you can't walk to every every venue yeah dude it it costs a lot and for and i would say for the most for the most part there's no big payoff man other than other than you're networking i mean now is an unheard of struggle i'm sure for a lot of comics out there because those venues aren't open so and there's no festival everything's virtual it's Um, oh yeah man it's 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 weird so i know that I did see and I heard that you had a 
you had a show last weekend at least. But, yeah. So are are things starting to open up a little bit? Uh, it did. Yeah. I was, overall, yes. And it really just depends on where you live. Um, here in Charlottesville, we're still trying to, the, the people that I work with, they're kind of slow on trying to do something outdoors. So uh, there's some, a bunch of guys in, in the DC area. Uh, they're, they're doing shows all the time up there. So if I do any live shows, it's going to be in the DC, um, Northern Virginia, Maryland area. Mm. So that's starting to open up. Uh, guys are doing a lot of shows in, in New York that are outside. Some people are doing some house shows or like doing stuff in garages and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, it, you know, you know, Bert was on the road. I think Liza, uh, Liza Slushinger is going on a, on a yeah, drive, a drive in tour. Yeah. So I saw an ad for that yeah. actually. Yeah. So it's starting to pick back, pick back up. And I think it's good because before this comics were very, very picky about venues. You know, like, oh, it can only be done. It has to have slow ceilings. We got to turn the lights down a lot. We need that. Dude, I'm telling you, man, 10 months ago, there was no way in the hell you would ever get Mark Norman to do a fucking show in the park. You know? No, but you know, Amarillo. he's made those work. Yeah. But well, Joe he's, he's made him work with the, with the videos, at least. Yeah. Maybe, but maybe now not people, with getting laughs. Right. But people are doing it. And I think that's yeah. good. We've, uh, We've lowered our standards sounds uh, bad, but we've uh, we've lowered our uh, our standards. You know what can make a great comedy show? Before it had to be perfect. Now it's just like, oh, we can make this work. You know. And also, it's in a way, it's making comedy more accessible to people. It is that wouldn't find it otherwise. Right. Exactly. And so you you have a slight advantage to in a, in a marketing sense to gain more traction and, and attention. Right. I, um, it is, it, it's, it's not a bad thing. Even with the Zoom shows, for people who like, like you and your, your wife, it's like, it's, it's probably hard to get out, especially with, during COVID. Like say there was a, a, an outdoor show. It's like, are you really comfortable with having an outside babysitter come in right now? It's like, probably not. But it's like, oh, if we put them to bed early, we can mm-hmm. catch one of these Zoom shows, you know? Exactly. It's just, yeah, more people can, can, can see you. So it, it's, it's really not a bad thing, man. Back to uh, the military side of things, if we can go back a few more years, what were some of those, some challenges that you can recall from, from your career? Well, what really, I, dude, I fell in love with comedy to where uh, at, at, for years, man, my, my military career took a back seat. Uh, how long have you been doing stand-up right for now? I know. Uh, and I haven't done anything since COVID hit, but That's I'd fine. say just, just uh, two years. Okay. Um, yeah, when I was at that point, I, I fell in love with it. And you, you know how it is, like when you get introduced to that lifestyle. And it's an unhealthy lifestyle. A lot of like, um, a lot of drinking, a lot of eating shitty kind of foods. And, and Vegas was such a unique thing, case because nothing closed. So we would do our mics and we would stay out to like five, six in the morning. Dude, yeah. And dude, there were times where like, I mean, I'm like two months into comedy. Dude, there were several times I would literally get home long, en- long enough to change my uniform, change into my uniform and drive to work. Like I would stay out all night long. No sleep. I would go to a mic at eight o'clock. We would do the show. We would hang out till five, six, and I would have to drive home put a uniform on and then boom, go to work for eight hours Yeah, on no sleep. And I, and I would go, I'm not going out tonight, man. I got to get some sleep. I, I can't do it. This is, is, is too much. 
hey, man, you coming to the mic tonight? I'll be there. And I would do it again. You know, <laughs> I would do it again. Um, it certainly is addicting. And you feel like you have to be there for another thing. Right. You know, and it, they're late nights. Late nights. They kind of work well in my situation, you know, with the family because they're all in bed. And I'm just like, right. I'm going to go out for this open mic and I'm going to hit this one afterwards. And then I'll be home around two in the morning on a, you know, Friday morning when I get right, to work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I certainly understand that. This is when my things got weird for me or challenges for me is when uh, I was staying out late. Uh, mm -hmm. I was eating, overeating, man. And at that time, that's when the military, the air force was really getting strict about the PT stuff. And I hit a long patch where like I was really overweight. I was failing PT tests. Like even towards the end of my career, I didn't get the test for master the last three years, dude, I was so out of shape. So there was like an eight year period where I was like failing the PT, fail, fail, pass, you know, you know, just, I'll, I would, I would do well. Okay. For a while I might skim, skim by and, and pass a second one in a row. But for the most part, it was like fail, fail, pass, fail, fail, pass. And dude, it, it was so stressful. And then here comes a kid. My wife is pregnant. I'm eating pizzas. I'm sympathy weight. You know, it, dude, I struggled so much with, with, with food and that led to more drinking and uh, it really messed with my career, man. So you were talking about advice. If there are any other guys in the military who are thinking about doing comedy, make sure you keep all that shit under wraps, man, because it added so much stress to my life. Dude, I came so close to not get to, to not even retiring. It's insane. But that last year, I quit drinking. I lost like 50 pounds. I passed the PT test. I was good to go. But dude, I got to a point where I was like, if they ask me to do it, I'm not doing it. Dude, this will be hard for you to believe. I put my PT test off for a year. I was just, I was just like, I'm not doing it. Dude, you talk about scared every day, worrying, worrying if, because um, where I was stationed at, we were away from the flagpole. So we didn't really have any upper... Uh, leadership there so whenever they wanted to talk to us they would just tamburg to us like did sergeant jones take his pt test there we go hey did you take it yet um, nah so it, it, at any day i could have had a full bird colonel or a, a a first sergeant down there in my shit so dude for the last three years dude it was terrifying man the level of stress until i faced the fact that i was depressed that i was overeating that i was drinking too much and i got therapy uh I, my, dude, I, dude, I came this close to getting kicked out with, at my 18-year mark. I mean, close. I was Googling, like, you know how they say, like, oh, once you hit 18, it takes an act of Congress, you know, to uh, kick you out. Dude, I was looking at all that stuff, man. I was, I, was, uh, I was very, very scared, man. You talk about somebody who was terrified. I'm like, what did I do, man? I spent all this time in the military. What if I get kicked out? I was hoping to get a retirement. If I get kicked out now, I got a wife and a kid. Dude, it, it was stressful. It was stressful. It was scary. But it was all my own doing, man. It was all my own doing. It, it, it wasn't pretty. And that's what sucked about this whole thing, too, is because I'm doing this cool stuff. I'm hanging out with Norman. I'm going to New York. I'm watching. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to his taping. I'm meeting Michelle Wolf. I'm meeting Comedy Central people. I'm, I'm, he's, he's telling me, like, oh, they're an agent. This, this is my manager. This person runs this club. She books this. That's the person who does that. It's all exciting. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, man, this part of my life is cool. But the, but the real part of my life, the part that pays the bills, it's in shambles. 
and like just hanging out with these guys and eating and going to these parties and drinking and stuff that I was, I would feel guilty. Dude, it would, dude, it, it was a lot, man. It was a lot. So I say all that to say, if you're a military dude, make sure you keep your career in order first and it will make everything else a lot less stressful, man. Cause I definitely did it the wrong way, but that last year I got my shit together and I was able to, you know, I finished it out. I finished it out strong, but to be honest, man, I'm not proud of like the last five years of my career, man, because I got so caught up in comedy that I let all that shit just fall to the wayside. I should have retired at least a master sergeant, but all because I was in denial about a lot of shit, it, I, I, I screwed myself, man. So just, just keep that shit in order, man. Just keep it in order. Keep your military career in order. Do you, do you remember what that was that actually clicked and made you turn things around? Um, I'm a hypochondriac and I'm absolutely terrified of dying. I mean, to, it's, it's an irrational fear. And uh, I went to uh, the doctor, routine checkup. Um, and uh, he was like, what's, what's up with your liver numbers? You feel okay? And I was just like, yeah. He's like, oh, man, your liver numbers don't look good at all. He's like, you drinking a lot? And I was just like, yeah, I do drink. It's like, it's hard to lie to a doctor because it's like, dude, they see the numbers. He, this guy's been a doctor for 30. He knows what's going on. You know what I'm saying? And he was just like, look, man, you got to quit drinking. You got to quit eating all this stuff. He was just like, oh, this is all the stuff that can happen to you. And I was just like, dude, it was a, it was a rude awakening. It was terrifying. I was so scared, man. I was terrified of, you know, having like psoriasis. And they was telling me all this other stuff that could happen. I was like, fuck this. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. It was like December 22nd. I remember I pulled up to my house. I was like, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not eating this stuff anymore. And I went a year and a half. I didn't eat bread. I didn't eat rice. I didn't eat uh, pork. I didn't eat beef. I didn't eat pasta. I just ate chicken, shrimp, vegetables, and like nuts. And every once in a while, I would make like a parfait as a dessert. And I did that for a year and a half. I started running. I started lifting weights. I was in therapy. And dude, it, it changed my life. It was, dude, it was, it was, it was a lot, but it, it basically, it took blood work for me to go, oh shit, I got to get my, my life together. You know? So it was a combination of health and yeah. career. Yeah. Yep. And if that just continued down the same path, I mean, that, that's just an explosion waiting to happen. Really. Yeah, so, dude, it was, uh, it was, it was, you, it was tough. So yeah, this good is, that you found help for that. Yeah, this is cool, man, because I never really get to go. Like when I talk about this with other people on other podcasts, I really can't go into too much detail because they don't understand uh, the military side of things at all. They don't they don't like people don't understand uh, how much of their of of your life they control. You know, mm -hmm. they're in charge of everything, because when I quit drinking, all my comic friends were like, you, you don't have a drinking problem. I go, well, you just don't see me drink at shows a lot because. I have to drive home. And I was like, I'm not like you guys. I was like, I can't have five beers and just drive home. And if I get a DUI, your job will never find out. I was like, if I yeah. get a DUI, they're going to take my rank and cut my paycheck, man. And they go, damn, they do that. I go, yeah, not only is drinking and driving bad, but I was like, that's why I don't even have one beer and drive. I was like, it's not worth losing a stripe over. I was mm -hmm. like, it's going to cost me hundreds of dollars a month, thousands of dollars a year if I get a DUI. And I was like, it's not worth it. And you've but, got a family. Yeah. People, yeah. But a lot of civilians, they don't understand that. Because if they get no. a DUI, it, it's not going to cost them 
part of their paycheck, you know? I mean, other than fines, but your boss isn't going to call you in and go, hey, man, you're not making $27 an hour now. Now it's 20 bucks an hour. I'm pretty sure if, if, if the civilian world was like that, you would see way less DUIs. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> way I less totally DUIs. Uh, so do you see any parallels, any similarities between the military community and uh, like the stand-up Ab- comedy? Ab- absolutely. <laughs> and I think about like uh, things like, um, you know, diversity is one of them. There's uh, a lot of uh, camaraderie in community, in uh, the stand-up community as well, right. I think. Yeah. So that's sort of, sort of the stuff that drew me into it. Um, right. So can you talk about some of those similarities that you've seen? Yes, same, same, same thing, man. It's just like, uh, I know it's a heavy handed metaphor, if you want to call it that. But like, when you do all these mics and stuff with people, it's like, you're kind of going into battle with these guys. You, you, see, your, you see your friends bomb, you see your friends die up there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and you, you get to know them and you, how hard they work. And it's, it's, it's tough to see. But it's nice when uh, like you guys can get in, 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 get in a car like for you guys and you go on the road. And you go and you do this show. Everybody does well. Everybody comes home feeling good. I feel like it's kind of the same way. And again, I'm not trying to, to, uh, you know, disparage, you know, or compare combat to comedy. But you know what I'm saying? It's like you guys get, say you just get deployed together. or You guys go to Korea together. It's just you're in a stressful situation with close people. And you kind of form this bond because not a lot of people do comedy. Not a lot of people have been in combat situations or Mm -hmm. been in the military or just been away from their family for a year you know, in Korea or wherever, you know, um, as far as like, I mean, there's no real rank structure, but we all know in comedy, there's a rank structure. You know what I mean? It's just like, if I'm doing uh, a show with Norman or somebody, like if it's just me and my buddies, it's like, oh, okay, I'm the vet comic right now. And as soon as Mark walks in, it's like, oh shit, you know, the commander's here. Now, now it's his time to tell stories. You know, it's just like, you, you, you know when to shut up. Uh, as far as material goes, uh, you all know if you're a young airman who is mouthy, even if you're right, it's just like that kid has a fucking attitude. He needs to get it together. But if a chief says the same thing, it's like, man, that chief is a straight shooter. Mm-hmm. Look at Chappelle. Look at his trans material. If some open micers did that same step, they would go, this kid is alt right. He hates trans. You know, he shouldn't be able to say stuff like this. But when Chappelle does it, it's like, oh, this is brilliant. It's so insightful. It's, it's the same thing, you know, like, like uh, Chappelle, he has the stripes. He can get away with saying a lot of stuff. He's built that, that fan base. He's built the trust. He's built the credibility. But you as a young comic slash airman, you got to know how to toe the line a little bit. It's just like if you're emceeing shows, stay away from certain topics, you know, right away if you're opening the show. It's like, why do you want to open on that to kind of set it up, set the show up to be weird? No one's saying you can't, because I'm a free speech guy. Look at my shirt. But you just, you got to know your, you got to know your place and know your role on the, in the show. If you're an MC, you're really, you're not there to make waves. And some clubs will tell you, you're not even there to do crowd work. And if, if it's a really old school club, they don't want you cursing. And they don't care if the feature in the, in the, in the headliner go up and say, fuck every other word. It's just like, as an MC, you're not doing it. You know, just like, just like the captain, he can show up with, you know, a little bit later than everybody else, if he wants to. You don't know what, you know, he's, he's, he's earned that. Now, is that good leadership? Probably not. But if he does show up late, you don't question him because it's the captain. You have no idea where the hell he was this morning. He could have had, you know, an officer's meeting. But it's, it's the same, same with comedy, man. It's just, uh, it, it definitely has this rank structure. It, you know, you, people have, they, people have their, their places. 
uh, yeah, the camaraderie, dude. And I think that's what really drew me towards it. Like my comic friends and my military friends are some of the, the best people. Uh, so I have some of the best relationships with, with those two groups of people because we've been through this very unique and at times, uh, you know, traumatic experience together. And they're the only people who can really relate and know what you're talking about. So, uh, yeah, dude, there's, there's a lot of similarities to it. And, you know, you got to be disciplined. There's a lot of structure as far as like writing the jokes and all that kind of stuff. A lot of rules as far as stealing and all that kind of stuff. You know, just like the UCMJ. Hey, do you, there's a, if you want to be successful, there, you got to follow this, these, this code. Same with comedy. If you want to be successful, here's a code. These are, these are some do's and some don'ts, you know? Yes, and, you get a lot of similarities. Yeah, dude, it's, it, there's, there's quite a bit, you know. And uh, to be honest, you know, where I, reti- where I retired at, there's, there's not a big military community. So, I, I'm, like, once I'm retired, it's like I severed all ties. I don't, I don't have any affiliation with the military right now at, at all. I don't really have a lot of people I can, you know, uh, like buddies I can lean on around here because I just, I just don't, uh, I don't know that many people around here. Uh, and uh, it, it can be tough. So, all right. So where's a place you've been that you'd be happy to never see again? Military wise or just any anywhere? Anywhere. I know you've probably been to some some real holes oh, in the wall. You were at Creech, right? Is that where you were in? Yeah, dude. I Vegas? would yeah, I would not want to go like uh kiss because Creech is outside of Vegas, dude. I would never want to go back up there ever again, man. It was that town is is it's weird, man. It it looks like a, I don't know if you're a gamer, but it reminds me of like Nuketown. It just looks like a weird. It's a it's it's a weird desert town, and literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's like a bunch of trailers, some really old homes. There's like one pizzeria. There's a gas station. Actually, they tore that down, but there was a gas station slash casino. It was just very, very, very sad place. And uh, if I'm being honest, it was very weird uh, that I'm a big mafia guy. I love the mob mob stuff. Support oh, yeah. good fella, dude. There was the most Italian guy in, that lived out there that owned this pizzeria. I was like, how the fuck did this Brooklyn, New York guy end up in the middle of uh, nowhere, Nevada? I was like, I'm willing to met this guy 100% in witness protection. And you were saying he had the Italian horn, the heavy accent, the hair, the pinky ring. I was like, this guy was definitely in the mob, mm-hmm. ratted somebody out, and he runs a pizzeria in the middle of nowhere, Nevada. He's probably got a lot of bodies buried oh, around yeah. there somewhere. Yeah. So, good pizza yeah. though. It was it was good. It was good, man. But I was like, man, this and you know what's funny, dude? It's it's like that here in central Virginia too, man. You go to like some of these really small towns in the middle of nowhere and you'll see all these like pizzerias and you go in, super New York guys. I'm like, why the fuck is this super New York, Brooklyn, Jersey guy out here in the middle of nowhere? And it's really not that far from D.C. either. So I guess, like, I bet you if these guys had to testify, it's only, like, a two-hour drive. So I think there's quite a few witness protection people, like, even in this area, man. It's, like, not too far from D.C. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, dude, it's, it's, some, <laughs> it's, some, it's some sketchy stuff out here. And I hate to stereotype Italian people like that, but with all the mob stuff I, I watch, and I'm, I, I just absolutely love it, it makes me think, like, is this guy a rat? Did this guy yeah. rat somebody out? <laughs> What's your ultimate goal at this stage of your life? Uh, my ultimate goal, um, career-wise, I, w- I want to be a, a touring headliner. You know, uh, eventually I, w- I would love to have like a writing job. You know, just, just 
just to work with other creative people, man, and make content that people like. And uh, did I, I want to have balance in my life. I want to live somewhere, you know, where my son is doing doing well, my, my wife is happy. Um, I want to be in. I want to be in a position where I can do comedy as much as I want, but I can also be at home at night, most nights. That's 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 my ultimate goal, man. You know, that's why I was really trying to talk my wife into moving to New York. I was like, hey, look, you know, if we move to Atlanta, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do more weekends. I'll be gone a lot, but if we live in New York, I can just run around and you know do spots, and I can I, I can be home because ultimately New York is where I need to be, and you know so. That would be my ideal situation is where I can do comedy as much as I want, be home uh, almost every night and have my, my wife happy with, you know, her living situation, her career, and my son in the place where he's getting a good education and he has friends and stuff. So, so I guess you're more of a New York comic. You wouldn't go out to L.A.? Uh, I mean, if, if, my, if my wife is like, I don't want to go to New York, I'll go to L.A., I would definitely go, but... I I, would, I think I'm more of a New York guy than I am an LA guy, but I, I say that because I've been in New York, you know, so many so many times over the last couple of years. Uh, but you know, I've never I've only done comedy once in LA, but uh, I I just I just like the subway and all that kind of stuff. I I, w- I just wouldn't mind doing it for a couple of years, but uh, yeah, I, I, obviously LA would be nicer, you know, hmm. but uh, it's just. Uh, uh, it's just a different tempo. I always I say this to people, and like I feel like all marine all, all comics say if comics were marines, I feel like the New York comics are the guys that went to Paris Island, and then uh, the LA comics are the guys who went to the other place, you know. <laughs> and uh, I think outside of Chicago or something like that. But like, uh, yeah, I just I just feel like New York City is like the place where you make the hard hard comics. Chappelle, Bill Burr, Quinn. You know, all those guys. Even Rogan started in New York. You know what I'm saying? Chrysler yeah. started in New York. So, yeah, I was up there um, a couple of years ago. We took a family trip up there. At the time, I only had two kids. And it was, it was amazing. I took a night and I went out to, I walked from Times Square. We were staying there at the, uh, the Marriott Marquis. And I walked to, um, to the West Village and I got in to see one of the um, new material nights at the Fat Black Pussycat. I got to do that, man. That was cool, yeah. <laughs> it was such a good experience for me. That moment is. is really what made me take a step and get into, start, you know, getting on stage um, right. and writing more. Because I was like, these are these are people. Uh, Matteo Lane was there, Dan Lamort, a really good comic. Isn't um, that a good feeling when you're a new comic? To see all those guys? It's inspiring, isn't it? Yeah, Michelle Wolf went up. Um, Nikki Glazer was there, and it was just very humbling. It's, dude, that, dude, I'm glad you said that because that's what I tell people. Uh, and again, I always I hate what I, I I do a lot of caveats, but I can't help it. I don't think I'm a great comic. I, I think I'm okay, but you know, uh, DC. I'm pretty well known in DC. I get to do all the clubs. People ask me to do their shows. You know, I I don't have any issues getting stage time. You know, like even at, at the improv, it's like depending on who the headliner is, if I walked in, there's a good chance Antoine, the guy who's the manager, go, hey, man, you want, you want to go up? You know, you want to go up? You want to go up? It's like, yeah, I, I'll do that. You know, I, I'm in that position. I work to the point where I'm, uh, you know, afforded those opportunities. But, dude, in New York, it is the complete opposite. It's like you walk into the cellar. It's just like you know for a fact you are not getting on this show. When you sit at the table with a bunch of comics, 
keep your mouth shut. But in DC, it's just like people asking me, oh, how was the weekend with Norman? How was, oh, I saw you hanging out with this guy. How was that? But in New York, it's like, no one gives a fuck who I, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody anyway. But in New York City, you are, they let you know you're nobody. You know, Quinn would be like, shut up. You haven't done anything. You know, it's just like, I love that, man. I love knowing that I'm a nobody. I love feeling like I got to prove myself. I got to get on. What can I do to prove myself? Like that that new material night, dude, I watched, um, um, God damn, I'm drawing, what's it? Yeah, Vecchione. I watched Mike Vecchione. I'm nervous as shit. Mark, uh, Norman is like, dude, bring your A, bring your A game. And dude, Vecchione doesn't give a shit. He's, he does, but he's just like, all right, what about this one? Uh, you know, he's at, he's at the fat black, which, which is like, oh my God, I'm not the fat black. But for him, it's a workout room. And he's just running these premises. People are getting laughs. He go, okay, I got to laugh. I'll do that. What about this one? And he'll do it. Uh, nothing? Okay, I'll try this one. Dude, and I'm up here sweating bullets. And all, like, like you said, Becky on is going up, trying new shit. It's nothing. But here I am. I'm, I'm fucking, you know, singing and dancing, trying to do my best. And I, 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 uh, I need that because once you kind of like move up in certain places, you can, you can get lazy. You know, you can get you can get lazy when, once you kind of establish yourself in the area. But New York is is a place where I feel like, all right, every show I do, I got to bring it. But when I'm running around D.C. doing some spots, you can kind of go into auto autopilot. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like I don't really want to try anything new here. So you just do a quick five to seven and, you, you know, you, you walk off. But in New York City, man, it's like looking at notes. I should do this one. You know, do that one. It, it really makes you focus. It makes you hone. It makes you hone in. And it lights that fire, dude. And I absolutely, I love going there feeling like I'm nothing and I'm nobody. It pushes me. It pushes me, man. I love it. You probably have a, a set that you can rely on or a, a couple sets you yeah. can rely on when you're, when you're at home. Do you have to switch things up when you go up to New York? If you want to be honest, you know, like you hear a lot. And, and to be fair, I don't have a, I don't have a ton of experience at like, I have never done a cellar. I've never, there's so many clubs and, and, and shows I have not done in New York. You get, you hear guys like, Oh, you gotta be this. You gotta be that. You got, you just gotta be funny, man. Comedy is comedy. You just gotta be funny. You just, what you have to do is get out of your head. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think the comedy cellar is any harder than any other club. It's just the fact that if you're a comic, you go up on that stage, you go, Holy shit. This is where Chappelle works out. This is where Che is. This is where Wolf is. This is where Leslie Jones and, and Louie, you get in your head and you end up bombing. It's just like, just show the room respect, but just remember it's, it's still just comedy. You just go up there and do your material. And I think you'll be fine for the, for the most part. And if you just don't got it, you just don't got it. So. Yeah, uh, it could also just not be, a, not be your night. I yeah, it, it could just not be a night. But that, yeah, that's but in those situations, you like, please don't let this be the night. It's not my night, because uh, Mark let me open for him one night at uh, Gotham, and I was like, man, this is scary. But I go up, I'm like, man, this is no different than just being at the Dayton Funny Bone or the Toledo Funny Bone. This is the same thing. It's just people look a little different. That's it. You know what I'm saying? People dress dress a little nicer because it's Manhattan. You know, it's just. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say the one thing you do have to be aware of because people are sensitive, like in the Midwest, you got to be careful with uh, any religious material. You know, uh, there's still clubs in the Midwest. You can get away with being kind of homophobic, you know, a slightly more racist. But in New York City and, you know, some of the more coastal areas, you, you can't really do that as much. But as far as religious material, you can call, you know, 
God, whatever you want, and nobody will really care. But you can't do that in the Midwest. You can't do that in Texas. You know, people in, you know, uh, Nebraska will get kind of pissed off. Um, but uh, yeah, you just kind of learn to, to tailor things uh, uh, to to the people to the crowd that you're that you're in. But you also don't have to compromise your material or your uh, you know your your ethics or your you know your uh, you know uh, your your personal beliefs or anything like that mm-hmm. unless you want to for some reason. So, so what's your biggest accomplishment? Uh, I don't know how to explain it, man. It's, um, I, I, I will say I don't, I don't, not that I'm somewhere, but the stuff I've been exposed to comedy wise, uh, I've been that I would say that's been my biggest accomplishment is actually like, you know, just knowing enough comics to where you can get all you can get uh, industry insider information, you can hang out with people that are doing really, really cool things. And I think me being able to like uh, go to New York and, and step my foot into those arenas and hang out with people that I really look up to. I mean, cause dude, it's really cool. Just like being able to hang out with big J and Che and Gomez and you, you know, Dan Soder and Quinn and Roy Wood Jr. Uh, Aaron uh, uh, Jackson, Chloe Hilliard, just like, uh, you know, just all these people that you see, you know, they might go viral. They've been on TV shows. They write on. It's just cool to be able to step into that world for, you know, three or four days when I'm in New York, you know, to go to New York and go and have somebody go, oh, man, if things line up, we might be able to go to an SNL party. It's like, holy shit, an SNL party. That's cool. Even though it didn't work out. But the fact that for me, that was it was a possibility. It's just it's mind blowing because I think about those days when I was going to Pounders, you know, those those days um, when I'm hanging out with all, with all my buddies in, in, in Dayton and like uh, we're watching YouTube and we're watching um, we're watching Tough Crowd and you see Keith Robinson, a, a, you know, a young Bill Burr, Colin Quinn. And then here I am five years later sitting down and to my left is Colin Quinn and Keith Robinson is right there. And, you know, it, it's it's crazy, man. You know, it's mind blowing. And like whenever I'm in those, honestly, whenever I'm in those positions, whenever I'm hanging around people like that, I'm like, I can't believe that I'm getting to hang out with some of the best comics, man. It's like, I remember being with my friends and like, oh, did you hear that new Bill Burr? Oh, what about this guy, Kyle Kinane? Dude, uh, Jesselneck is cool. Hannibal Burris, have you heard of him? And just getting to meet these people. And it's, it's really amazing, man. I've been very, very fortunate I just, there's been a few times I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and had the right set to get welcomed into certain circles. And I just, I really appreciate it. And uh, I miss it <laughs> right now. What's something you're really bad at that you want to improve? What am I bad? Uh, I'm, I'm bad at letting my um, imagination get away with me. Uh, and I, I worry a lot. I have a lot of anxiety. Um, and and if I'm being honest, it, it, it's it's um, beginning to manifest in my son to a degree, and I wish I was better at handling that because I, I see a lot of anxieties and insecurities in him coming out, and I and I sometimes blame myself for that. So that's something I definitely need to get better at is 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 recognizing when my energy is off, and and I have to be uh, aware that he can sense that and it rubs off on him. And I have to get, I have to do something about that. You know, it's, it's been a while since I've been to therapy. Uh, I'm not working out as much as I was just because, you know, everything was shut down. But I was just saying that earlier when I was out at the store, I was like, man, uh, not that I was ever a gym rat or in like great shape, 
but I was, I felt a lot better when I was, you know, pushing the weights around and, and running more often. So uh, I, I missed that. And that helped me control that. And, and that's been gone for the last five or six months. And, it, and, and I'm starting to feel like the old me again, mm. you know, that constant worry and dread and this, that, 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 uh, just, I feel like I have just a, a ball of worry inside of my gut all the time and I, and I wish it was gone and I, I got to get back to doing the things I was doing before that, that, that helped me uh, mitigate and, uh, and um, uh, lower all those uh, anxieties and worries. So that's something I, gotta, I wish I could be better at. And uh, to, to bring it to the opposite feeling, what was the last thing that made you laugh? Uh, what did I just laugh at? If, I, if I'm being real, I love the Sopranos in, in memorial page page. So honestly, whenever I need a good laugh, man, I, I go to that Facebook page and I just, I, I, I laugh at the memes that, that they make on there. Um, watching my son play video games makes me laugh. Watching, I watch a shit ton of uh, YouTube YouTubers play Mario with my son. And some of those guys are pretty funny. So, you know, I, I find that uh, uh, to be, fu- to be funny. That, that, that kind of stuff makes me laugh. Um, but man, what was the last time I had a belly laugh laugh? Um, what the fuck was I watching? I can't remember what I was watching, but, uh, all right. And, um, so you've got, you've got your own podcast Yeah, that you've been doing for, for several years. Right? Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and, uh, and you know, here's something I got to get better at, at promoting myself as well. That's something I got to get better at that I suck at is promoting me. And organizing shit. Well, that's that's half a life, I think, right now. Is, is yeah. just self promotion. No one's gonna do it for us. Yeah, and it, it feels weird to do, man. I, I don't I don't know if the military did that because you see, you know you know it's not about you. Like whenever you start doing too much of you, it's just like you're doing too much. And uh, yeah, I, I gotta I gotta start worry, worrying about myself just a little bit more. And especially if if I want to do this as a career, I need to be not. I guess I need to be a little bit more selfish. And uh, promote myself because I'm I'm not a terrible comic. I, I got to get over that and just start, you know, put myself out there more and just being a little bit more positive about that and not being afraid. Yeah, well, you got the podcast, the Negro Please Radio podcast. Yeah. And you started a new show right on, on your YouTube channel. Yeah, uh, he got answers. It's an AMA uh, show. And I, yeah, had Mark, I had Norman on a couple of weeks ago. That was fun. Saw that, yeah. Um, and also you've got some material on, on YouTube. You've got uh, – yeah, I put a, a couple, couple sets, sets out there. Yeah, a couple little one, a couple of short videos. Uh, I got I got some old, some older, longer stuff where I got into a uh, a thing with a guy at a at a show and up in Arlington. He, me, him and I were going back and forth for twenty minutes. Man, he just kept heckling. I tried to cut that down into clips, but there was no really like I got him really really good. It was just a twenty minute thing of me just boom 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 boom, uh, and it it was it sucked at the time, but it was. It was <laughs> It was a, it was a cool experience, but he ruined my, I was trying to make a tape for something. He ruined it, but oh. yeah, I ended up getting a decent video of him heckling me for 20 minutes, but uh, you yeah. do a lot of crowd work too, don't you? I do it. I love crowd work and yeah. And uh, I'm so, see, that's another reason I'm, I'm glad I met Norman too, man. Cause he's such a joke guy. Uh, he was like, man, you, he's like, he's like, he got good jokes. He got great jokes. He was like, man, do more of your material. Cause there are, there are, there were weekends where like, and I'm doing 2025 and like 15 of it is just me just going through the crowd, just, you know, just destroying people or they destroying me. It's just so much fun. I love to interact with the crowd, man. It's just, 
it's hard for, for me to just go up there and do my act. I like to talk to people and get to know, like, what are you doing here? And like, who are you? And what do you, I don't know. I just find that interesting. It's just hard for me to do my material just going up there. Cause there's part of me that's just like, why do people even want to listen to me? Like I would rather have people talk to me and I, I get, you know what, now that I say that, I think that's what it is because naturally that's how I got, I feel like that's how I got my comedian, my funny bone is people telling me stuff and I would have a retort for it. So doing mm-hmm. that on stage feels way more natural than somebody who was kind of shy, but very clever. And they were writing their jokes. Me, I grew up in the inner city. So it was a lot of shit talking, a lot of back and forth. And that's what I'm kind of, I'm kind of used to, man. So I, I, I love doing crowd work, man. It's just, it's just fun. <laughs> I just love it. Let's wrap this yeah. up uh, real quick. So we'll go back. We got the podcast, Negro Please Radio. You started a new show on your YouTube, Chris Allen. Uh, he got answers. Right. And then Twitter, Instagram, just at, at Chris Allen Comedy, A L A N. Yep. A L A N. Um, and uh, all right. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking uh, three hours to talk to me here, taking a whole Sunday afternoon. I'm sorry, man. This is my fault. You wanted to be an hour. And I've said it before somewhere. uh, Nobody makes an Air Force retired hat look as cool as you do. Oh, oh, (laughs) I remember that comment. So that was you. That was me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I get shit for wearing that hat from old people sometimes, man. Usually usually it's only like, you know, no one under 65 that's why people are like, you're retired. I'm like, yeah, man. It's just t- people that our age don't typically wear that kind of stuff, man. But I, uh, I, li- I like to let people know, you know, it's just like, it's about, you know, you people see me, they might make assumptions or they don't know what a guy like me would do. But it, it, it just, I like to wear it because it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's a symbol of like, hey, man, you never know what people have done in their lives. And I know I look fairly young, you know, I'm 40 and no one, no one would ever assume that someone that looks like me would be a retiree. You know, everyone, like you said, they think of the, the old guy at, at Walmart, you know, with his, he's got the hat with his ship name on it and stuff, you know, the Vietnam vet. It's like, no, dude, there's a lot of, you know, middle-aged, younger veterans out there. And this is what we look like, you know, you, you, you just don't know. So. Yeah. Well, you can see the hat for yourself at Instagram, uh, at Chris Allen comedy, uh, tons of great conversation here. Oh, yeah, Thanks I appreciate again it, so dude. much. And um, I've told, I've told Mark Norman, hey, come down to San Antonio when you're in Texas. I think you should come down too. I would love, love to see to, you man. sometime. My cousin, uh, he's retired there, so I would, I would love to come down, man, and oh, hang out. Definitely. He's supposed to open a restaurant, so that would be cool, man, to a retired Air Force vet open a restaurant down there. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's how we do it. That's the comeback. The first new episode of the Boots Off podcast is in the books. Follow at Chris Allen Comedy on Instagram and Twitter. You can find Chris Allen under his own name on YouTube. And he has some live shows coming up. September 24th at the Arlington Draft House in Arlington, Virginia. He'll be doing the Overachievers Comedy Show hosted by Martin Amini. And September 25th, 26th, again at the Arlington Draft House with Mark Normand. That's a big one right there. So thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and share this podcast tip the waitstaff who put this all together over on Patreon, and we're back next week with a very different tone to uh, discuss some things for Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. Thanks. Thanks.